This is Archive Atlanta, episode 51, Buckhead. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Before we get started today, I have an exciting announcement for you guys that I want to share. I've been working on a special Archive Atlanta tour with Bicycle Tours of Atlanta. What that means for the fans of the podcast is that you can sign up for a three-hour tour that's going to take us all over the city, stopping to talk about the places, the people, and the events all mentioned in my episodes. Of course, it can't be every single episode, but trust me, we are going to talk about a lot. For $65, all you have to do is show up. So we have the bike, the helmet, the water, the snacks. You just come here in comfortable clothes, comfortable shoes. Um, There are two dates on the calendar, October 19th, 2019, and November 23rd, 2019. There is a link in the show notes of this episode that will have more details. And if you have any questions about how to sign up, definitely just send me an email and let me know. Now to get into this week's topic, Buckhead. I am starting off with a disclaimer because what we call Buckhead today is huge. And honestly, sometimes the boundaries are stretched and we pretend things are in Buckhead when they are most certainly are not. To cover the area from the Chattahoochee River to Brookhaven would take an hour. So I want to preface this episode by saying that I tried my best, but I also tried to focus on very early and general history, and then specific episodes on subtopics will come at a later date. When speaking of physical place in Atlanta, every story must start with Native Americans. The earliest archaeological remains found in present-day Buckhead tell us that its earliest residents were Paleo-Indians of the Archaic period, which lasted from 8,000 to 1,000 BC. The Muscogee Indians, named the Creeks by white settlers, had their chiefdom's main village alongside the Chattahoochee River. I'm going to say this totally wrong, um, but it was called Pakanauli, and it literally meant standing peach tree so named for the rare peach tree that stood on a mound in the village. By the late 1700s, Standing Peachtree was a popular trading post, and it lied kind of on the line between the Muscogee and the Cherokee. During the War of 1812, the Creek Nation splits, and then it chews loyalties between supporting the British and supporting the Americans. The people that lived in Standing Peachtree remained loyal to the Americans. The village would soon become home to a U.S. infantry fort called Fort Peachtree. And fun fact, the road that led from this Fort Peachtree to Fort Daniel, which is in present-day Gwinnett County, would be called Peachtree Road. I tell you all of this because the site of standing Peachtree is in current-date Buckhead near Piedmont Hospital. So Buckhead does kind of get the claim to fame to one of the earliest origin stories of the city. The Muscogee, or Creek, are forced to see their lands in an 1821 treaty, and this is when it's given in land lotteries to white men. I went on a tour the other day um, where the guide mentioned something that I had never really thought of before. In these land lotteries, there was a fee to enter, usually $5 to $20. And it's really easy to hear that amount in 2019 and associate it with being pennies on the dollar. And I've said that before, like, oh, wow, they got all this land for $5. But $5 was almost $100 in 1821. And the men that were putting their names in these proverbial hats were already wealthy, or at the very least middle class. 
As happened with land lotteries across the state of Georgia, many people would instantly flip their lots, give them away to family or friends, or purchase neighboring lots to expand their holdings. By 1873, the largest landowners that comprised Buckhead were Judge Clark Howell, who had a home along the Chattahoochee, just down from Standing Peachtree, Thomas Moore, namesake of Moore's Mill Road, the Collier brothers, Andrew, Meredith, Merrill, and Wesley, who were pioneers and ran some mills, um, Silas Donaldson, he was a farmer, and Henry Irby. And I hope these names, if you're familiar with Buckhead, they're all ringing some bells, whether we're street name or a park or a place that you've passed before. Today, I want to focus for a moment on Henry Irby, as he owned the part of Buckhead that we all think about when someone mentions the neighborhood. Irby was born in South Carolina, married in 1833, and fathers 10 children. In 1838, he purchases 202 and a half acres from Daniel Johnson for $650. These acres are the heart of Buckhead. The intersection of Peachtree and Roswell Roads, where the Buckhead Theater is, the Whole Foods, the shops at Buckhead, or whatever they're calling that now, all of the retail restaurants, bars. But before all of this, it was just Henry and his family. He built a home and a tavern that also acted as a general store. The settlement was originally called Irbyville, but the story of Buckhead goes a little something like this. Legend has it that Irby shot a buck and mounted its head over either the front door or on a post in the yard. And so settlers that were traveling to Atlanta through Irbyville would say things like, meet you at the buck's head. The buck's head gets combined into just buckhead, and that, my friends, is how we get the name. As buckhead begins to grow with more and more settlers, the need for a church arises. Buckhead has its share of prominent churches, but the oldest is Sardis Methodist. Situated on Powers Ferry Road, just off of Roswell Road, it started in 1825 as a log chapel called Shady Oaks. Now, they did not have a permanent preacher. This is how rural country it was. Instead, it was served by a circuit-riding minister that would come through Buckhead and then leave, and then another guy would come by later. After the war, a two-story wood frame structure was built, and that was damaged by severe weather in 1875. They rebuilt that on the exact same site. Now, the building that you see today is from 1927. So it's the third church to be, again, on this same spot. But the cemetery, you know how much I love cemeteries, stood the test of time. So the oldest burials there date to about 1869, and the names on the monuments read like a who's who of early Buckhead history and street names. It is the final resting place of Henry Irby, Collier, Matheson, Donaldson. Um, it's beautiful. They have really old stones, so I highly recommend a visit. In the 1850s, a decade and a half before the start of the Civil War, Buckhead was really rural. The population totaled about 400 people, and the majority of them were farmers. The census says there's one lawyer, one doctor, one blacksmith, and one carpenter. So I guess all you needed to have a little settlement. As the war reached Atlanta, you would have several skirmishes take place in the area and then one battle, the Battle of Peachtree Creek. If you're familiar at all with the road named Peachtree Battle, it is so named for that event. We had 5,000 Confederate casualties dotting along the landscapes and the Union Army would continue their march to Atlanta and eventual victory. 
I think it's fair to say that Buckhead is mainly associated with white Atlantans, and these early residents were definitely white uh, farmers. But among the residents that came to Buckhead before the war, enslaved people made up part of the population. These enslaved and then later freed people created their own communities. Um, And within Buckhead limits, there was something called Macedonia Park. And honestly, this could be its very own episode, at very least a mini episode. Um, So I'm not going to get too much into the history, but there is a group of 400 families establishes Mount Olive Methodist Episcopal Church and a cemetery to go alongside it. This land that they live on in the 1920s, it's created into a subdivision and it's developed specifically for these African-American families. And it's kind of like a mini bubble. It had churches, grocery stores, restaurants, a blacksmith shop, all within this small space. After outrage from white homeowners in neighboring Garden Hills, um, it is taken apart by eminent domain in the 1940s. Like I said, lots of drama, definitely its own episode. Um, But I tell you this quick story because the cemetery from the 1800s is still there. It's the only thing we have left of Macedonia Park. Uh, And it sits underneath a grove of trees right at the entrance to Frankie Allen Park. Now, although there are just a few headstones, If you do go visit, I want you to keep in mind there are about 75 people buried there. So let's go back to the 1800s for one second. During that time, Buckhead was actually famous for its pottery industry. I had never heard of this. This was so shocking for me to read. Um, But because it was really close to the river and the clay along the Chattahoochee was perfect for pottery. One family, their name were the Roladers, would purchase almost 50 acres along Moore's Mill Road, and they would sell whiskey jugs, pitchers, and butter churns out of their one-room cabin. The area did not become associated with the wealthy, as it is now, um, until the turn of the century. But it's still not exactly what you may be picturing. As I've talked about before in other episodes, the city of Atlanta begins as a little tiny nucleus um, near downtown. As the roads and transportation improved, especially after cars become more accessible, the wealthy continue to move further, further north. But in 1897, this was still really far away. I mean, this is like if you tell someone you live in Canton now, it's kind of the same idea. The first rich man to build his estate here was John Otley, who was president of the First National Bank. He purchases about 150 acres around what is now Lenox Mall, and on this land, he builds a small cottage The only way you can get there is horse and buggy. So this is very much like the way people have cabins in the mountains now. It was kind of that same thing if you live downtown. The Fulton County Alms House was built around 1881 at the corner of what is now Piedmont Road and Peachtree Road. Where today you see huge office towers, back then there was a group of seven two-room shanties that would house the city's poor and elderly. In 1911, the almshouses were moved to the edge of what is now Chastain Park. So from 1911 to the 1930s, the Fulton County almshouses house the elderly and paupers from across Atlanta. Segregated by race, the white almshouse was the building that is now used by the Galloway School, and the African-American almshouse is the building that is now used by the Chastain Arts Center. For the year that I worked in Buckhead, I would actually run at lunch and I'd run over to the park, loop around, come back to the office. Um, And at first glance, it was just not teeming with history. I associated Chastain Park with beautiful homes, landscapes, golf, just things that don't really interest me. 
But once again, the universe kind of set me straight. When I discovered the history of the land, uh, it really changed the way I view things. Not only was actually that Native American land originally, um, but the almshouses used it as burial ground. We didn't really know this, or maybe didn't remember this, until around 2014. That year, surveyors discovered at least 84 unmarked graves just feet away from the fifth green at the North Fulton Golf Course in Chastain Park. Labeled as indigents, when each person passed, there was no relatives, no inheritance to pay for proper burial. So a dirt road led from these almshouses down to a small cemetery, and here the poor would be buried. At this point, the land that is now Chastain Park was set to be developed is about the 1930s. And so there's records in the paper um, that a Fulton County land agent removed about 311 bodies, buried them in a um, Fulton County pauper cemetery, which is supposed to be kind of near Adamsville. But no one really knows kind of what happened to these 80 so people that they forgot to move. Things changed in Buckhead when the downtown trolley line was extended in 1907. All of a sudden, a place cut off from the city now had access to downtown jobs, schools, so it was no longer a place for just the wealthy country estates and the quote-unquote regular people begin to move in. The next few decades is when you see the development of neighborhoods like Peachtree Heights, Garden Hills, Brookwood Hills, just to name a few. Those all deserve separate episodes, so I'm not going to get too much into them today. As the middle class moves into Buckhead, stores and entertainment begin to appear. A drugstore arrives in 1917, hardware store in 1921, and a grocery in 1925. The Buckhead Theater opens in 1930. Designed in the Spanish Baroque style, it cost $120,000 to build. When it opened, it was segregated. White patrons could enter through the front and black patrons through the back alley and had to sit in the balconies. In the 1950s, the name was changed to the Capri, and in the 80s, it was a draft house, kind of movie house, and then it was named the Coca-Cola Roxy. In recent history, it was closed for about two years and then fully renovated and reopened as its original name, the Buckhead Theater. I said this earlier, but Buckhead is known for its churches and an area that is colloquially called Jesus Junction. The three churches that make up this intersection of Peachtree and East and West Wesley are the Cathedral of Christ the King, Second Ponce de Leon Baptist, and the Cathedral of St. Philip. The first St. Philip was in downtown Atlanta all the way back in 1875. By 1905, it was named the Cathedral of the Diocese of Atlanta. The move to Buckhead would happen in 1933, when architect Francis Palmer Smith designed the main structure, which now sits at the very top of the hill. So it's that one you see when you're coming north on Peachtree Street, and it just stands right in front of you. The Cathedral of Christ the King sat on a piece of land that many people do not know the original history of. In 1921, the newly revived Ku Klux Klan purchases the property from Edward Durant, and operates the KKK headquarters out of a huge, white, columned mansion they call the Imperial Palace. It would serve as headquarters of the organization from 1922 to 1936. Living in the mansion was the Imperial Wizard Hiram Wesley Evans, 
and he was the one that ended up selling the house to first an insurance company for the cash, and then the insurance company quickly sold it to the church congregation. Christ the King was established in 1936, and they held their earliest masses in that very mansion before they demolished it to make the church building you see today. Buckhead has a lot of other KKK connections. Uh, The robes were actually produced in a nondescript office building just near the Buckhead Theater, and people associated with this terrorist group had their personal homes in the neighborhood. But I want to save all that stuff because I do hope to do an episode solely on the KKK in the future. Buckhead would not become part of Atlanta until 1952, and the reason for this has everything to do with race. Mayor Hartsfield served from 1937 to 1941, and then again from 1942 to 1961. He was a politician through and through. And though early on he did not support Black Atlanta, once the white primaries were abolished and Black voting power grew, he began to negotiate with the African American community. It was Hartsfield that secured the first Black police officers with the promise of election from the Black voting bloc. In private, he knew the tables would turn one day, and as white flight continued out of Atlanta, his voters would eventually elect a black mayor. In an effort to stall the inevitable, Buckhead was annexed into the city of Atlanta in 1952. And when that happened, the black population of Atlanta goes from 41% to 33%. So there you have it, the short story of Buckhead. Like I said at the start of the episode, I do hope to be able to take all of these kind of mini stories and explore them in their own episodes. But for now, I hope it has given you a new way to see things you might pass every day or even buildings that you go to work in every morning. Thank you guys for listening. If you haven't already done so, please go rate and review the podcast. It helps listeners um, find it. Also head on over to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, where you can find out how to get two bonus mini episodes every month. Monday's episode will be about the student-led sit-ins at Richard's department store in 1960, so you don't want to miss it. Hope everyone has a great weekend. I'll talk to you next week.